0: a series that i'm calling get it together for a couple reasons it's because there is this church in corinth a long time ago a city named corinth a long time ago and they needed to get their acts together they were messed up like you wouldn't believe they had all kinds of problems they had major problems like the church actually had people in the church arguing with other people who were in the church who would have thought I mean, they actually had people in the church who said, no, I believe that this person is the leader we should follow. And then there were other people in the church who were like, I think this leader is the person we should follow. Can you believe like church people being divided from each other about something? It was astonishingly bad. And Paul writes a letter to them and he's like, you guys have got to get it together. You need to get your act together. There were two things that they had problems with and he was like, I need you to figure this one out he said here's the deal here's the deal you need to come together as one unified group of people and you need to get your act together and be living the way you're supposed to live Raise up the moral uh, quality of your lives. And so the phrase, get it together, really refers to both of those things that the Apostle Paul was trying to get through the skulls of the people in Corinth. And one of the great things about the book of Corinthians and the, other, the two letters that we have that we call 1st and 2nd Corinthians, one of the great things about these letters is it gives us the freedom to point our fingers at someone who's worse than us. And we're like, man, those people, have, those people are so messed up. I'm so glad that we can point our fingers at those people who are so messed up up. and then we read about the kinds of divisions that they have and then we read about the kind of moral problems that they have and then we start to realize oh my goodness those people that we're pointing our fingers at actually are us. And so the letter of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians are letters that really apply just as much to us today as they did to the people back then. And that's the reason why we need to study them. That's the reason why we need to get our act together, why we need to get together and find the right way to live and live in unity with each other. Let me do a little bit of review with you. First of all, let's look at the satellite map of Greece so you can see where Corinth is. This is a satellite map of the bottom tip of the Greece uh, Grecian Peninsula. It's called Achaia, the name of the Grecian Peninsula. And the very bottom part of it that you're seeing there that kind of looks like an island is called the Peloponnese. And if we zoom in on it, what you'll see is this tiny strip of land right in the center of the screen. So there's water from the right or the east there's water from the west and there's this tiny strip of land and that tiny strip of land gets even narrower in this one tiny little spot where Corinth is Corinth was a city that it was it was in the narrowest part of the isthmus connecting the Peloponnese in the south with the rest of the Achaean Peninsula in the north. This whole area was the Grecian Peninsula. And Corinth was this city right there in this tiny strip of land, only four miles wide. And the reason that's significant is that everything from the north to the south had to pass through Corinth. If you're going from the north to the south, you had to go through Corinth. If you're going from the south to the north, you had to go through Corinth. Everything that came out of Athens would eventually come to Corinth. And in fact, the things that were going from east to west or west to east would also pass through Corinth because sailing around the southern tip of the Peloponnese was often very dangerous. And so instead of sailing around the tip of the Peloponnese, a lot of times what the Romans would do is they would take the land route through Corinth so they could find themselves in a bay on the other side and then sail off from there. And so pretty much all the wealth of the ancient world was passing through Corinth. And if the wealth of the ancient world is passing through Corinth, this tiny little four-mile strip of the city... If all the wealth of the world is passing through there, you're also going to get all the people of the world passing through there. And so the city of Corinth was just like New York or Los Angeles or Las Vegas. It's this cosmopolitan mix of money and people and pleasure and religious perspectives and philosophies and all that stuff. Well, Paul shows up in Corinth and he's trying to teach them something new. I've got another photo of it. Here's Corinth again. You can just see the Beautiful inlet of the Mediterranean Sea there. And then Corinth is that city on the lower left-hand side on the ground there below the, the mountain that we're standing on. And you can see it's sort of just sprawling out there. And it's a tiny strip of land. You can even see water on the farther side. But just a beautiful area. So let's do a little bit of review. Why was Paul there, and what was he talking about? So Paul had visited Corinth after he had been in Athens. Corinth was his next stop, and he spent like a year and a half there trying to teach them about the message of Jesus and the difference that it makes in a person's life. And then he left Corinth, and after he left Corinth, some people who were still there in Corinth began to say, we shouldn't really pay attention to Paul. We shouldn't really pay attention to him. And so Paul then tries to write a letter to them to prove that they should pay attention to him and he's got some good things to say. You see, Paul had a number of problems in in relationship to the city of Corinth. We talked about them last week. His problems were, number one, he was a teacher who worked with his hands. Corinth was a society that was... um, You could describe it as a patron based society. There were three basic things there were the wealthy people, there were the Teachers or educators, and there were the workers or the grunts. And so the wealthy people paid the teachers to keep teaching because that was kind of a form of entertainment for the wealthy people. What's the latest theory? What's the latest idea? Bring us the latest news. Tell us the things that are around the ancient world. And so the wealthy people would pay the educators to give them the information, and the grunts just made the rest of the society work. The grunts were the people who worked with their hands, who actually had to do something. And so when Paul shows up in Corinth, he's a teacher, but he's working with his own hands. He doesn't take any money from any wealthy people. He's a teacher and he's working with his own hands. And the people in Corinth were like, that doesn't make any sense. If your message was good enough, there should be some rich people paying for it. But clearly no rich people are paying for it. So you must not have a very good message. Why should we pay attention to you? You're working with your own hands? Only fools do that kind of stuff. Why would we pay attention to you? Smart people don't work with their hands. (laughs) And so they were like, they didn't understand Paul. He had this problem with them. And so when he left, a bunch of factions grew up. And some people said, we're going to follow Paul. And other people said, no, we're following another guy, Apollos. Another person said, we're going to follow Cephas, the Hebrew name of the apostle Peter. We're going to follow Cephas. Someone else said, no, I'm just going to follow Jesus. And uh, so you had all these different groups of people splitting up from each other. And Paul hears about their divisions. And he also hears about the moral problems in the church. And he writes them back a letter where he's trying to slap them in the face and say, get it together. Last week, we looked at the first phase of that letter. And we learned that Paul is trying to communicate one basic, well, three basic things to them, but it's all wrapped together. He says, I've got a message of Jesus that involves holy living, and it involves unity with other churches and other Christians. All Christians need to be united, they need to live holy lives, and it's based on the message of Jesus. Those are the three things he's trying to cover with them. And as he's trying to cover these three things, his opening lines that we saw last week just basically cover the Those ideas. But see, Paul has a problem. And his problem is that if they are actually going to embrace this new identity, if they're actually going to embrace this new realization that they are simply recipients of God's grace, that it's all because of Jesus, and that their lives need to be transformed, if they're going to receive this, then they have to pay attention to the right message from the right messenger. You see, the problem is that when Paul left and they decided to split up into all these factions, the message that Paul brought got buried. Paul brought a very simple message of Jesus. Jesus, only Jesus. He's the solution to everything. But then when Paul left, there were these other people who said, no, let's follow this guy. Let's follow that guy. Let's follow this person. Let's follow that person. And so the message of Jesus got buried underneath all of the different problems that these other people were raising up, all of the other issues that these other leaders were raising up. And so Paul now has a problem. He wants to get him back to the message of Jesus. But the only way to get back to the message of Jesus is to break down all these other leaders they've been following. And the only way to break down all these other leaders they've been following is for Paul to stand up tall and say, I'm the guy. Because he doesn't have enough time to defeat all of these other arguments. He doesn't wanna deal with all that. He just has to say, I'm the guy. So this is one of those rare places, Paul only really does it in 1st and 2nd Corinthians. But this is one of those rare places where Paul has to first of all, prove that he's the man with authority so that they stop paying attention to all these other people so they can start paying attention to Paul's message which is stop paying attention to me only pay attention to Jesus so this is like training wheels Paul has to say pay attention to no one but me ignore these other guys and I'm telling you pay attention to no one but Jesus So that's kind of what he's doing here. He's trying to get them back to Jesus, but he has to start by defending himself, by stating his own authority. So that's what we're going to be looking at in 1 Corinthians chapters 2, 3, and 4. Flip there. If you're using our Bibles, it's on page 536, and we're going to get into this. Chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power." Paul is getting ready to give us three reasons why we should pay attention to him. Reason number one, write this down. Paul says he carries a spiritually powerful message. He carries a spiritually powerful message. You see, he's had problems with Jews. The Jews were upset with Paul because he's coming into the city of Corinth and he's saying, hey, guess what? Greeks can come to believe in Jesus. Greeks can have a relationship with God without being Jews. Paul's being too permissive. But the Greeks also had a problem with Paul because Paul kept telling them, you've got to stop having so much fun. You see, the Greeks were all into this hedonistic, just pleasure-based society. And Paul goes to them and he says, no, you have to live holy lives. So the Jews didn't like him. The Greeks didn't like him. The rich people didn't like him. No one liked him. And so Paul has to start by saying, hang on a second. I've got a message that has spiritual power in it. Look at it again, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Paul says, so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom. Paul says, I didn't bring to you any sort of fancy arguments. I didn't show up with nice illustrations. I didn't show up with persuasive speech. In fact, Paul says, I came to you with weakness. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. How many of you like paying attention to a person who can barely talk? Quiet speech. They're sick. They're not very healthy, not very strong. Maybe they're really short. How many of you are really interested in paying attention to take the long process to listen to what this guy has to say? Or or what about this one? Paul says, I resolved to know nothing with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Be honest with yourself. How would you feel if you were going to a church for 10 years and every single Sunday the pastor got up on stage and said, folks, today we're going to talk about Jesus dying on the cross so that your sins could be forgiven. And every single Sunday, he tells the story again, every single Sunday about Jesus going to the cross, dying on the cross, being raised three days later, and then he tells you that it's so that your sins could be forgiven. It's like going to Easter all every sunday for 10 years in a row i know some people who don't go to easter sunday anymore because they're like i've already heard it you know i've heard that message all the time how would you feel if the pastor did nothing but that for just all that time you know if you're honest with yourself i imagine you'd say i'd get bored paul says okay here's the deal I came to you without any sort of persuasion, any sort of eloquence. I did nothing but preach one message over and 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 over, and over, and over again. And on top of it, I was weak. We know from history that Paul was probably sick with something. In 2 Corinthians, he talks about a thorn that was in his side of some fashion. We don't know what his ailment was. When he's writing in some of his other letters, he says, See what large letters I use when I write with my own hands. So we know his eyes were messed up because he had to write really huge in order for him to see his own signature, his own writing. So we know his eyes were messed up. We know he had some sort of sickness. We think some scholars even think that Paul had epilepsy or something along those lines. So Paul comes to Corinth all by himself when he first gets there. He's all by himself, and he's weak. He's got nothing going for him. And who wants to pay attention to this guy? But look what Paul said. He said, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Something happened when Paul was there. When he was there in Corinth, something happened. He gave his message, some people believed, and something of the Spirit happened in power. We're thinking maybe, maybe what happened is that when Paul preached the message and some people believed, maybe it was when Crispus was first baptized and his whole family came to faith, maybe it was in that moment that they received the Holy Spirit of God in a powerful way. We know from other places in the book of Acts that when the Holy Spirit came on people in a new area, in a new way, frequently miracles would happen. One miracle is people would be able to speak in languages they'd never learned before. And other people would be able to understand those words. And there was this amazing thing. that Later on in 1 Corinthians, we find out about a, a gift of the Holy Spirit called speaking in tongues, where you don't understand what someone is saying, but they're just speaking something that kind of sounds like gibberish, but it, it's apparently angelic speech or some sort of spiritual language. We're going to talk about that in a couple weeks. But clearly something happened in the city of Corinth Where they experienced the Spirit's power And it wasn't because of Paul's words And it wasn't because of how impressive he was It was because the Spirit was empowering this message And we don't know exactly what it was But the point is clear Paul says, I came to you with a spiritually powerful message In other words, Paul is saying I'm the best messenger because I have the best message Pay attention to me because my message had power behind it. But we're only through a few verses, so we should probably keep reading. Let's go on. Verse 6 through 16. He says, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that's been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. See, Paul is saying, I do have some other stuff I could talk about. It's not just the crucifixion that I could talk about. I do have other stuff that I could talk about. I have another message, a deeper message, but it's a message for only mature people none of the rulers of this age understood it for if they had they would not have crucified the lord of glory you see what paul is saying there is all the people of this world are too dumb to know my message they're too immature to know my message my message is just over their heads only the smartest people, you might think, are the ones who get this message. But keep going. He says, however as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. Paul's point is that no human being has ever made this up. No one has ever come up with this idea. This is too good to be true. No, it's, it's one of those examples of truth is stranger than fiction. You can't make this stuff up. Paul has a message that is so outlandish You can't make it up. But these are the things, verse 10, that God has revealed to us by his spirit. Now, you need to know when Paul uses the word us or we, he is not including the Corinthian church in that little preposition, in that little pronoun. When he says uh, us or we, when he says us or we, he's talking about himself and the people who are with him. So Sosthenes is one of the guys who's writing this letter with Paul. Paul Paul's talking about himself. He's talking about Sosthenes and the other people who are with him. When he says we or us, he is not including the Corinthians. When he's talking to the Corinthians, he says you. When he says we or us, he's talking about himself and the people around him. And so he just said right here, but I have been given this message by the Spirit of God. I have this message from the Spirit of God. Keep going. have the mind of Christ. Now this is really interesting. Paul says he's got a spiritually powerful message, but guess what? The Corinthians can't figure it out. The Corinthians don't get it. You know why? Because only truly spiritual people get it. Do you pick it up? This is an insult. This is a snarky insult where Paul is saying to the people in Corinth, I've got the best possible message. I've got this super powerful message. You saw the power of the Spirit of God at work when I brought my message. Now I've got another message, but y'all too dumb to get it. That's what he says. Now he doesn't say dumb. He says spiritual. Only spiritual people can get my message. Unspiritual people think my message is foolishness now can you tell what he's doing here there are a whole bunch of people who say pay attention to me not paul pay attention to me my stuff is better than paul's paul's stuff is foolishness compared to my stuff so then paul says guess what only fools think my stuff is foolish truly spiritual people know that my stuff is right truly spiritual people know that my stuff is the best okay it's almost you can almost picture paul with a mic and he's like a rapper talking about how he's better than all other rappers you know you can begin to get that feeling and he's snarkily telling the people in his audience that if they don't get what he's putting out there it's because it's their fault it's because they're not mature enough they're not spiritual enough so that is what paul is doing chapter two is his first reason He's got a better message. I've got a spiritually powerful message. Chapter 3, Paul gives his next reason. Why should we pay attention to Paul? Reason number two is because the Corinthians are acting like children. Take a look at uh, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, because you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there's jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? These people are immature infants mere humans there's nothing spiritual about them at all there's no maturity in them at all they're just infants they're just children you know why because that's how children act paul says listen i can prove to you that you're being childish do you disagree with each other do you have arguments do you fight do you split up from each other and you're like well I'm doing this thing over here and this person says well I'm taking my ball and going home yeah that's how I know you're being childish because mature people mature people don't do that mature people don't get into fights a mature person is like I know who I am I know what it's all about and I know how to take care of myself and I don't have to put you down in order to take care of myself and feel good about myself mature people don't have to quarrel because they already know that they're right and the other person is wrong and they don't have to point it out mature people don't have to divide themselves from each other because the mature person is secure enough to not need the the security of this little enclave of people reminding me that i'm all good and those no mature people are okay being mature and paul says but that's not you All I could give you is milk. You're still not ready for solid food. I have other stuff I could give you, but you're still not ready for it. Keep going. See what he says next here. What, after all, is Apollos? And what is, I love that. He doesn't say who is Apollos, you know, because the answer for who is Apollos, well, he's a good teacher. He's a man with some great oratorical skills. Who is Paul? He's a guy who understands the message of Jesus. He's a guy who writes aggressive letters to people. Who is Paul? Yeah, that's easy to answer. But what is Paul? What's the answer to what is Apollos? Um, a human? What's the answer to what is Paul? Um, a human? He says, what is Apollos? What is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed. Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only god who makes things grow the one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor for we are co-workers in god's service you are god's field god's building now hang on there he's going to change the metaphor he just did a metaphor from agriculture he's going to do a metaphor from architecture in just a moment but before we get there he said something very interesting he said what am i nothing What is Apollos? What is Paul? Nothing. The only thing that matters is God. Oh, but I did plant the seed. What am I? I'm nothing, but I did start it all. Well, keep going. Let's let's now look at the building metaphor. Verse 10. By the grace that God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and now someone else is building on it. We're not exactly sure if someone else is referring to a specific person that Paul knows by name in the city of Corinth who is causing trouble. Maybe Paul says, I laid the foundation, and now that dude is putting something else on top of it. Or maybe it's a generic someone else. Other people are trying to build on top of my foundation. We're not sure if he's talking about a specific someone someone else or a generic someone else but he says i laid the foundation and now someone else is building on it but each one should build with care in other words whoever's trying to put something on my foundation better watch out watch the rest For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light it will be revealed with fire and fire will test the quality of each person's work if what has been built survives the builder will receive reward if it is burned up the builder will suffer loss but yet will be saved even though only as one escaping through the flames what's fascinating about this section here is that paul has used an, an um agricultural metaphor and then a building metaphor and he says i planted a seed but god's the one who makes it grow He also says, I laid the foundation and other people build on it. So here's the thing. Write this down. Paul says, you've been acting like children, but I'm the one who got you started. I'm the one who got you started with Jesus. It's highly important that we remember Paul is the one who initiated this whole thing with them. He's the one who got them started with it. Paul's like, I'm nothing, but I did get it started. I'm nothing, but I did put the foundation down. God is everything, but I did put the foundation down. God is everything, but I did put the seed in the soil. So Paul's just just saying, I did get it started with you. But check this out. There's a problem here. Because Paul, it's not just that he got it started. He did it right. And the other people who come after him are in danger. You see, Paul says, I laid a foundation, and that foundation is Jesus Christ. And if anyone else tries to lay a different foundation, well, they can't because other foundations don't work. They're not made out of concrete. The only concrete foundation is Jesus Christ himself. That's the thing that stays. All the other stuff that people build with is just wood and straw and maybe even gold. It can look fancy, but it's not strong like that. I laid an expert foundation of Jesus Christ. And you can try to build something on top of Jesus Christ, but if you try to build something on top of Jesus Christ, eventually one of these days, the flame of God's judgment is going to come through and it might stand or it might go away and if it goes away well you'll be saved because of the foundation but all the stuff you've invested your life in will be gone paul says you could try to build on it some people could try to build on it i laid the foundation other people trying to put things on it you might have something that stays if you build it solidly with Jesus, but you know what? Eventually God's going to judge it. And anyone else who lays any other foundation, well, that's just a lie. That's just false. It's not going to get you anywhere at all. So he says, I'm the one who got it started. But now there's one more thing. You see, he just started a building metaphor. Look at verse 16 and see where he goes with this. Don't you know that you yourselves are god's temple and that god's spirit dwells in your midst if anyone destroys god's temple god will destroy that person for god's temple is sacred and you together are that temple there's another spot in the bible where paul would say that you as an individual are a temple of the holy spirit you've heard that before my body is a temple of the holy spirit yes there's a spot in the new testament where paul does say that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit if God lives in you. But here he's not saying you as an individual. He's saying the church in Corinth as a collective whole. Together, all of them together are a temple. So guess what? You don't even have to build anything. Paul laid the foundation and now you're a temple. Not each of you individually, But all of you together are the temple. And God's not going to destroy his temple. He's not going to let anyone else destroy his temple. God is going to take care of his temple. His temple is the beautiful thing. Your job isn't to build anything. Your job is just to be a nice, clean part of his temple. Your job is just to fill in your role in the context of the bigger, better temple that all the other Christians are part of. But keep going. There's even more. Verse 18. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you're wise, by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. Here's what he means by that. At the very end of this metaphor, he laid a foundation. They are the temple built upon that foundation. And now Paul is saying to them, okay, don't deceive yourselves. If you think you're you're special, remember this. What human beings think is smart, God thinks is dumb. What human beings think is wise, God thinks is foolish. So, why do you bother looking for advice or teaching or anything from any other human being at all? Why Paul, Apollos, or Cephas, or anyone else? Look at that last line. He says, you already have everything you need. You are of Christ and Christ is of God. Write this down. They don't need anyone else. This is key. They were acting like children. Paul got them started and they don't need anyone else. You see? They were acting like children. Paul got them started and they don't need anyone else. Paul gave them Jesus and that's it. That's all they need. So, Paul has one more argument to make. It's in chapter 4, his third reason for why people should pay attention to him. And the third reason, write this down, is that he has been a faithful servant. Chapter 4, verse 1. He says, this then is how you ought to regard us. As servants of Christ. And as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. See, Paul isn't ashamed to say that God has given him some knowledge that people need to have. He says, okay, so you need to recognize that I've got some authority, I've got some knowledge, and I want to give it to you, but keep going. He says, now it's required that those who've been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. That's just Paul in a long way saying, I don't care what you think of me. I don't care what you think about me. I don't even really think about myself too much. You know, my conscience is clear, but I'm just going to let God judge me. My job is not to judge me or you. Your job is not to judge me. My job isn't to pay attention to what you think. My job is to just keep my conscience clear with what I know to be true and trust God for his judgment. See, he's mature and he's secure. Verse 6. Now, brothers and sisters, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. That just means don't go past what you've already been given. Paul has already given them enough. You don't need anything more. Don't go past it. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other for who makes you different from anyone else what do you have that you did not receive and if you did receive it why do you boast as though you did not see his point there is listen you you're still divided about a bunch of different things don't go beyond the foundation that's already been laid and the fact that you're a temple built on that don't go beyond the stuff that you've already been given you don't need anything else you just need Jesus you need to come back to Jesus you don't need anything else so why do you bother with following this guy's theories or that guy's theories and so All of that really is Paul just reiterating what he said before because he's about to lay into them. Paul is about to go on a tirade. He's about to go on a snarky, sarcastic rant in verse 8. And when you hit it, you just get this sense that Paul is allowing some of his anger and frustration to just bleed out onto the page. Here it is. Already, you have all you want. Already, you have become rich. You've begun to reign, and that without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign, so that we also might reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of a procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We've been made a spectacle to the whole universe to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored. We are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world right up to this moment. You see, what Paul is saying here is that he has had to suffer a lot. Read just a couple more verses. He says, I'm I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. See, what Paul is saying is that he's suffered for them like a father, like a loving father. If any of you in this room are parents, I can imagine you can relate to this idea. Paul is looking at these immature, adolescent divided, petty people. And he's just saying to those teenagers, you have no idea what I have suffered for you. You have no idea The heartache and the pain and the frustration that I have had to endure. You have no idea the economic hardship that it has been for me. You have no idea the physical hardship that it has been for me. But I need you to know that I have not done these things to somehow earn points with you. I have done these things because I'm your father. And I love you. And you are my children in the faith. And I will do whatever it Takes to make sure this message of the gospel is stewarded well in your life. And so Paul says, it is required that a servant prove faithful. And then he says, and I have done that. I have been faithful with this message with you. So here's the point. Paul says to these people, you need to pay attention to me. You need to pay attention to me because I have a powerful message. You need to pay attention to me because you've been acting like children and I'm the one who got you started. And you need to pay attention to me because at the end of the day, I am your father who has faithfully suffered for you in all of this. So pay attention to me. And what does he tell him to do? Verse 16. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I've sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in the church. Paul does a couple things right here in just a very short amount of time. He says, so just imitate me. If I'm your father, if I'm the one who got you started, if I'm the expert builder, I just need you to do what I've been doing. And so I'm gonna send you Timothy so you can know what it is that I've been doing. And there are two things you need to know. Number one, you need to know how I have lived and that my life is following Christ in other words my life is trying to be a holy life and number two you need to know who I'm living with I'm in the context of all these other churches I'm trying to reach out to all these other churches to build a sense of unity because it's the same thing that I teach in Corinth that I teach everywhere else he's building unity in other words Paul says I want you to imitate me in holiness and in unity Notice how I have lived. I have lived a life that has tried to follow Jesus in holiness. I've tried to live a life that brings his people together in unity, and so I want you to imitate me. Gee, the same themes we have already seen so far in this passage and in last week's passage as well. But it ends with just a couple extra verses because Paul doesn't leave it just there, he throws in a threat. Did you notice verse 14? Look at verse 14 again. He says, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you. (laughs) What is he warning them about? I'm warning you, and I'm sending Timothy to you. Verse 18, some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon. If the Lord is willing, and then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline, or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit? Okay, little boy, do you want me to give you a spanking, or do you want to get your act together right now? Do you want me to be gentle and kind? Do you want to do this the hard way or the easy way? In the old version of the NIV, the one back in 1984, it doesn't say rod of discipline. It says whip. Do you want me to come to you with whips or do you want me to come to you with a gentle spirit? You see, Paul says, I know there are people there who are opposing me. And guess what? When I show up, I'm not showing up as Mr. Nice Guy anymore. I'm showing up with power, and it's not my power. It's the same power you saw come from God when I was there the first time. I'm showing up with power, and then we'll see which of these guys really has it all together. Paul is ready for a showdown. He is ready for some sort of showdown, and he says, I'm just letting you know I am on my way, so you can get it together now or you'll get it together later. Which will it be? A little bit of a threat there. Now, of course, that leads us to a major question. Paul seems to be pretty intense. He seems to be pretty serious about this thing. He is saying to them very clearly, you have got to follow me. Because if you follow me, I will lead you to Jesus. And if you follow me, I will lead you to holiness and unity. Paul says, you have to pay attention to me in order for you to get to where you're supposed to be. So what does that mean for us? Well, if the problems in Corinth are similar to the problems that you and I face in our world today, then the solution is the same. Paul would say to us the same thing he would say to the church in Corinth. He would say, you need to follow me and I will lead you to Jesus who will unify you and make you holy. Now, I don't know how you feel about the Apostle Paul. I don't know how you feel about the message that he might bring. But this right here is essential. Because you see, in the very next chapter, next week, Paul is going to smack the Corinthians right upside the head. And he is going to begin to share some things with us that you're not going to like. He's going to begin telling us some things that are hard to hear. Things that don't make sense in our modern world. Things that don't seem to work in our society. And the question you have to answer for yourself today is the same question the Corinthians had to answer for themselves back then. Am I going to trust the man with the powerful message who got this thing started and who has been faithful? Am I going to trust that guy with this message of power? Am I going to pay attention to what he has to say so that I can be led to Jesus, my real foundation, so that I can experience holiness and so that I can have unity with his people? You have to ask that question. Am I going to be one of those who disregards Paul or am I going to be one of those who decides to imitate? Now that question will be easy to answer this week. If you wait till next week to answer the question, it will be harder But if you answer that question this week, the next week will be better. I want to ask you to take some time right now and spend just a few moments in silence with your heavenly Father and say to him, God, am I able now to trust this message that I'm about to hear from Paul? Am I able now to put my energy behind following this message from Paul? What's standing in my way if I'm not? Perhaps some of you have never even allowed Jesus to enter your life, and so you are are so far back into the milk phase of things that you need to get that squared away first. And maybe today your prayer is, God, would you just cleanse me of my sin and enter my life with the Spirit as you've promised? Maybe today it's, am I ready to obey what Paul says? Or maybe it's today, God... Where are you leading me next? Let me pray for you. Thank you for listening to this message. We believe that God has a full and fulfilling life in store for you, and we want to help you live it. For videos, resources, and more, visit us online at lafayettecommunitychurch.com. And as always, we want to encourage you to plug into a Christ-following community of faith wherever you are. Life is a journey, and no one should ever walk alone.